I'm Chris Riley, editor of Sweet Code and founder of Fixate. I just so happen to like food and software, so I'm going to connect with developers and engineers at their favorite places to eat and chat about what it's like to build modern applications. This is Developers Eating the World. All right, I'm sitting here with Greg Seipel, who is contributor number two of Fixate. And I'm excited because all of my, the developer eating in the world podcast, I want to start it out with our key contributors. And Greg not only has been a contributor, you become famous. I don't know if you're a micro, yo, you're definitely a micro celebrity in the testing space. Yeah, I would definitely say the micro. Reinvent. Reinvent. Now SauceCon, SCP. Um, Do you like it, speaking at events? You know, it's, it's a really cool rush in the sense of getting on stage. Um, it's also part of that challenge of trying to get over the fear of getting on, on stage. Um, there's a lot of butterflies in with that. So it's, every time I do it, I'm like, ah, that's the last one. But then, you know, give me a couple of weeks and I'm like, let's do it again. You know, one of the things, like, I think that this imposter syndrome thing is just a pandemic in the tech field. And it's kind of the people, the practitioners who've decided, like, whatever, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. You're going to do it. I mean, if you're confident in your content, I think it's really easy. Um, if you know the space really well, you're going to be totally fine. Yeah. And your peers will call you out, but if they do, they'll tell you why. I mean, it's Absolutely. usually not like, you know, hiding behind a keyboard type stuff where you know, no. they just want to be jerks. It's... I, I mean, one, I mean, I think one, my team has embraced it. I mean, you know, yesterday was the first time one of my reports actually, it was his first time presenting. And so it's kind of also that sense of achievement of seeing other people getting on stage. And that's probably just based on right. my confidence in them. And then the confidence we've Give them, give them based on this working on some of the tools, so they're kind of showcasing all the stuff they're developing too, which is really cool. That reminds me, you have an open source project, don't you? We do have an open source project. Um, so, one of my lead developers um, came to me roughly about a year and a half ago, and we was just kind of brainstorming around how we could do testing more efficiently, more maintainable. Um, so. He introduced model-based testing, which I was not really too familiar with model-based testing. Um, and so we built this framework where it focuses on, you create models to based on, it's really, really, it can be used for anything, but it's really designed for the modern like front-end frameworks around like React or Angular or Polymer, where it has a web component and that helps speed up the process of developing the front end, right? And so huh. what we do is we have a single model that aligns with the web component. So you're modeling the whole system. And so on top of those models, we, we're building algorithms that basically generate Selenium scripts. So you don't have to think about, the developer doesn't have to actually think about the behavior. We do that piece of like, kind of do cool. the, the planning side of it. And what's it called? Um, the tool is called Simulato. Simulato. Which is Italian for model. This door is cracking me up. <laughs> we were talking, I told him, hey, hey uh, Greg, you know, the part of the point of this is there's background noise and we got a squeaky door. We <laughs> <laughs> got the squeaky door. It's amazing. I'm going to have the brisket sliders. Oh, good choice. I know. <laughs> the brisket yesterday was awesome. It's like the best trade show food I've ever had. Did, were you all out here? Yeah. Oh, did you yeah. have any of torchies or any of that? From the food trucks that were out here? Oh, I, I ended up not doing the food trucks in the afternoon because I had 
I had loads of brisket, like loads of brisket from lunch. That's awesome. Yeah, I did the food trucks and then went to Terry Black. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Um, for myself, I'll take the Texas Redfish tacos. Redfish tacos. Alrighty. All right, easy peasy, guys. Great. Awesome. Thank Thanks. Yeah. So instead of doing the trade show lunch, we uh, we're in the bistro. Hotel Bistro, which the food, I mean, the, the, that is the best barbecue. For real? Pro probably some of the best barbecue I've ever had at a trade show, which is awesome. Here goes the door. <laughs> door. Yeah, I, I gauge a lot of barbecue just based on its brisket. Um, mm -hmm. Terry Black's is really good. It's got a good smoke ring. Um, but, you know, sometimes you get some fatty brisket, so it, it depends if you like that. I'm not typically I don't, a fan. Yeah, I don't. I, I like it kind of lean. I don't want it too dry. I want it kind of moist, for sure. Yeah. So we're open source tool. Um, it's been about a year and a half, probably about a year since we've kind of open sourced it. Right. Um, what it does is it really what I describe is the developers don't have to really truly focus on like the behaviors of the system. It, it one creates more maintainability as long as they're very aware of like I'm going to change this component. I need to be. I need to make sure I change, update the model. Um, the models have like preconditions, some actions, and some expected states of that particular component. So I think we've modeled 50% of the system so far. Um, so we've still got a lot of tech debt because it's a lot of work, but. I think the return on investment's been great um, in the sense we're gener generating over a thousand Selenium scripts today. Whoa. Um, yikes. Which is kind of, yeah, yeah, yikes. <laughs> um, one now is we just had to do, my team had to work on um, fine tuning the algorithm that basically generates the test because it was starting to take up to five minutes. And so they was able to kind of re architect it to where it kind of is traversing all the nodes and keeping track of everything to understand, okay, we've already generated this and stuff. And so we've got that down to like 30 seconds now. So what the big complaint was from developers like, well, through the PR process, now it's generating all these tests, it's taking longer. And then you got another like seven minutes to run them in parallel to run them all. So we're trying to continue to reduce that. That's interesting. How do you get the internal buy-in to focus on I mean, you're, you, are, you are clearly solving a real problem, but how do yeah. you get the internal buy-in to focus on the project? Um, the, the, someone asked me this question last night, and you know, the, the buy-in really started out as um, trying to kind of show data around maintenance of testing um, and maintaining testing and the amount of, or more of like, how, what's the capacity of trying to maintain scripts? Um, and especially when you're trying to pass that ownership over to, as a, in a sense of building a culture where everybody owns it, you know, developers are going to be like, well, I don't want to spend 25% of my time maintaining tests all the time. So it had some clear data around that. Yeah. Um, also, just kind of building the awareness if you're building something one-to-one, -one, it should be really easy. If I'm making a change to this model, or I mean this web component, I need to make sure I make a, update this model. So that buy-in made it a lot easier. It's a slower process. And so, like... Um, Who owns it? By the like, do it... So that's a great question. So for the first year, my team completely owned, like building out, doing most of the technical debt because there's a lot of tech debt of like modeling a system. Um, in the last, we started in December, we was training all the developers. So now developers are actually writing and updating models for all new features or new user, you know, user stories based on the backlog. And it's been well accepted from that standpoint. Now it's about 
like turning off other types of tests that where we got duplications um, or we still do some manual testing and stuff there so start turning those off um, so we're from the stance of buy-in it's been really amazing because they're seeing the cool. amount of coverage and now our next steps are to kind of like how can we fine-tune this a little bit more our goal is like if there's a PR, let's try to figure out how we can tag the code to where we can just generate the test for that change itself. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably like what developer wouldn't want to spend time getting paid to build open source stuff? <laughs> right. But you guys solved a real problem, so it's <laughs> yeah, it's a real problem, and I think you know everybody's seeing the benefits of it now. Um, it, you know, I think most software companies have capitalization you know, cap hours and stuff where you kind of kind of get credit based on where you go out in the world and you build these, you know, tools and stuff and it's gonna show the long kind of like return on investment on it, right? Um, I think the other thing, when we sold it, it was like we're not building a tool just for Selenium. The architecture of the actual like framework we could easily add other type of drivers and right. do other so, things. And I wanted to ask you about that because I, you know, it kind of came out and you know, I couldn't really talk too much about it here, but you know, what is the, what is the life, like, is Selenium gonna be around? <laughs> is Selenium here to say like? That's a great question. Like, I, I think it's gonna be here for a while, um, but I think you're seeing a lot of like new tools that are coming out around like, like you know cypress right is one puppeteer was out there where yeah. they're kind of running with inside the browser where one they've definitely demonstrated they're faster and since it's reducing a lot of traffic back and forth right um because it's all contained and running inside That's the true. browser itself so the browser is kind of more of its decline itself okay. rather than having it separate oh, outside I see. so it's okay yeah. Trying to conceptualize how that works, but, huh. Yeah, so it, it's running there. So the, the, the speed of that's, um, I, I, I've never done measurements against it, but I know the speed's definitely way better. Huh. Um, based on my experience of tinkering around with like Cypress on um, a little bit of Puppeteer. So when we went down this path and we were selling what you was asking about buy-in, um, we was buying that our tool solution was more than just Selenium. We could easily plug it in if we, it's all about priorities and stuff. Like we would really love to do API testing with it too. Nice. Because API testing would be really simple. You, you pretty much like if you're generating kind of a, a swagger doc or like, you know, GraphQL schemas and stuff, it's really predictable in the sense of what the endpoint is supposed to be returning and stuff like that. Yeah. So we could easily generate those type of things. So I just learned about um, microservices testing and contracts. Contracts, yeah. Do you would you swagger to define contracts? Or is that you could you, you could yes you you definitely could use um, the swagger to kind of create contracts um, from that standpoint. Um, there was a talk I think yesterday kind of briefly about that where you're using Pact. Um, yeah, Pact. Yeah, I yes. heard about that. Um, it's very. We're using GraphQL. Um, we moved away from Swagger. GraphQL is where you have a single API and then you write a bunch uh -huh. of queries. And so the, it's really the performance of it is amazing, um, in the sense of like speed of like an huh. actual API itself. So we've kind of switched to that. And so there is about writing a contract to the schema. And so we have a dedicated API team, and all the other teams absolutely absorb it. So you have your front end devs from you know desktop, or you have your native team tying into it. Right. Um, 
having a contract between those two is really crucial and that's something that we've been trying to do as an initiative for 2019 because a lot of the teams still do a lot of test manual testing between that integration and so doing contract testing allows that um, initially got the first idea was just watching what sauce labs was doing with their new kind of like you know going the headless and stuff and they was talking yeah. about how they was building all these contracts and stuff and i was like oh that's interesting yeah Wait. yeah i had no idea i mean the problem with the term contracts is i immediately went smart contracts i started thinking yeah. blockchain you know but it's it's different um that's interesting and also like the thing is that microservices each have their own life cycle so tying that all together is... Just tying it together. I mean, it, it, a contract can apply on so many different levels. It doesn't, you know, microservices to your, even you're going to your databases and stuff Oh, like so that. it's not like, new just to microservices. No, it oh, can, it I can didn't be, know that. Yes. It can be all kinds of, it could be just talking to various APIs itself. What about third-party tooling? You know, you could definitely, in a sense, put some stuff put in place there. Um, I, the biggest thing with third party is like if you could somehow have an agreement, but it would definitely at least build some awareness when you build something that causally broke it. You know, so before you push your code, you're like, well, I'm checking that third party, right? Before you push it, could break the integration. Right. Which is, I feel like a lot of bugs typically are when you, it's like inside the system itself, it's fine, but when they get to all those different boundaries, that's where stuff starts to fall apart. Gets interesting. Because there's so many, like, I've noticed, like, I was talking to a few people, like, this from authentication, how many people go through so many hops to get authenticated and it goes back through? Well, as a user, you only see it fell at the front end part of it, but right. there may have been five different areas where it was validating in the back behind the hood you know underneath the hood there so yeah having a contract between each of those and their really relationship crucial. to the wow that's yeah. a big problem i mean that's a whole new frontier of challenges with modern applications which actually so the other thing is like your career development i mean you pretty much went from you know kind of pre-automation days or, you know, technology. You had an engineering background always, yes. right? So you, you, you were technical, you know, but always on the quality side to all the way up to essentially is what it has become DevOps, right? It's pretty much, I mean, it's, it's interesting from that sense because like my team does do a lot of DevOps, but, they're, but we're really just building solutions like DevOps, like right. DevOps was doing. It was trying to solve solutions around infrastructure as code, right? It's the same as us, it's quality as. Right, and you kind of, you, so not only like you're able to offer like a library of technology for your organization, but at the same time, you're kind of the stewards of strategy for testing. Yeah, like what you guys do has always been really cool and I'll let you describe it, but you kind of like, you federate out, you know, as like a recommendation to all of your assets, right? Or yeah, all your we, properties. Yeah, the new term that we have came up with recently, we've been trying to find the right terms for this, but the quality ambassadors um, across Yeah, the okay, so you're actually using that? Yeah, I mean, right. shared services is a common term, but it's not, like the problem with shared services is it's not usually technical. It doesn't, a lot of stuff doesn't have to be technical. Some of it can just be just, you know, general uh, processes. Right. You know, we're providing tools for all the teams, but like how, by using our tool, How's that really going to help them move forward faster, right? 
and how can we make the, it's kind of like yesterday when Claude Jones was kind of talking about developer efficiencies, right? We're trying to make it really easy for them to test our applications with not thinking about all the behaviors and stuff. So like that's where we're really trying to focus more on test generation and understand yeah. from that side of it. And that's that's a whole different perspective than what you would find at conferences where everybody's just trying to figure out how to keep their tests running clean, which you see a lot of AI companies out here where they're Absolutely. trying to solve kind of the exact same thing. Do you think that's, I mean, is is machine learning and AI really going to make an impact in the testing world? And what what is it going to be? I think it's only going to make an impact for the, the companies that are very advanced and can... Like the unicorns. Yeah, the ones, it, it, there's rare companies. I think if you're kind of like, you don't have dedicated developers on your team, it's only going to get you so far. You're going to have to try to Right. Think about some of the harder solutions out there. Um, for us, it's, you know, codeless is great. You can get it up and running probably really quick. Um, but maintaining that and then kind of continue grooming it will be difficult. And who I don't even know. It's so new. It's like anything. I know. And uh, unfortunately, like, the term is ridiculous. It's, like, what does that even mean? No, half the time when a company says they're AI, it's statistics. It <laughs> yeah, it's just a statistic. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's not, you know, the way we're looking at more of like um, machine learning or AI is like, let's learn how our users are using our applications and then can we build some type of algorithm that generate tests off of that? Yeah, said. the feedback loop. So it's almost like, um, trying to think of the, the best term for this, it's like you almost have like user test coverage rather than in your typical like, hey, let, this is how we need to cover our application. So from that standpoint, that coverage might be have more value because you're not thinking of scenarios how they're like actually approaching your app if it's really wide open, right? And so I think that's, that's huge. Maybe they go to a page and they're selecting the fifth option every time before they do something else and that's right. causing error. Yes. Sliders. Risk it. Should have gotten not the green stuff. The slot is really good. All right. I, <laughs> I know. I, when, I, when they first rolled this out, and because we, we had to taste everything, when they rolled that, I was all like, really? I'm going to put slot. You're going to mess up my, my yeah, brisket. Yeah, don't mess up my brisket but with green stuff. But it's the crunchy. I love the crunchy in there, and it really complements it. So all right. if you don't like it, I'll have the No, no. <laughs> I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be that guy. No, no, no. I would like you to have it the way you want. But if you don't like it, let me know. I'll have it remade. All right. That's Thanks. Awesome. Anytime, anytime there's sliders on the menu, I will order it. It doesn't matter what the slider is. Yeah, I will always order a slider. Yes. Yes. I don't know why. Have you had the it's like chili the best. sliders? The no. ones with the have like the um, they do like a chicken and waffles with like some spicy like. Uh, uh, oh, see, like yeah, yeah. There's this place in uh, D.C. where I live, um, Barrel and Bushel, and there's their appetizers are all sliders, but they have like what you was kind of describing as a honey like hot sauce you put on some mm -hmm. of them. Oh, so good. I mean, I can go there and just eat all their sliders. They have like six different kinds of sliders on appetizer and you oh, just God. like. It's the same with, with flights. I'll go yeah. anywhere. Oh, if there's yeah. a flight, flight yeah. I'll get the flight. Because yeah. like anywhere, so I was talking, when we were changing our menu, you'll see that it says like shareables because the oh, way yeah? I was thinking is like a lot of Asians, like they'll do like a whole bunch of plates and they put them in the middle and they share so they get to try a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. And I was just all like, that's amazing because I never, I can never choose not because I'm not decisive, but I want everything. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way I am. Yep. I want to taste the whole Texas. Like. <laughs>
All of Texas. All of them. Thanks. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, so, so for me, from the AI and machine learning and all that, I think test generation should be like kind of like what people should be focusing probably a little bit more on. And understanding how you can generate tests of data points like you were talking about, like some of these are all about like analytics and stuff. There's tons of analytics and if you're just tagging things correctly, if you're using anything like Adobe or Google Analytics, you should kind of know what your users are doing. Adobe Analytics? What's that? Basically, Adobe Analytics is kind of tracking your pages and um, understanding what things but are firing off. So Adobe is some weird shit I've never even heard about. Yeah. Have you noticed that Adobe does the licensing or the authentication for like HGTV? Oh, I didn't know that. It goes through an Adobe server. Mm. What the hell is Adobe doing? Yeah, it's a little everywhere. Huh. Yeah, some weird authentication service. Yeah, that's... Anytime I hear the term AI machine learning, I always immediately go, yeah, whatever. It's just a new buzzword. Yeah. It really is. I mean, it's been, and the thing is, the funny thing is, most of those things have been around since like the 50s. It's not like, if you kind of go in and you look like artificial intelligence, it's been there the whole time. And they've been doing it for years. It's not like it's something new. Right. It's, it's like, I mean, my degree, I emphasize focused on uh, genetic algorithms, which actually <laughs> would be an interesting use case. Yeah. But it'd be more like Chaos Monkey in a way, I think, where you kind of just see, no, you like, with the genetic algorithms, what you could do is, is train your own class of like virtual users that closely represent your real users. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. And it's kind of similar to what we're trying to do. Like you're trying to figure out how to test a system where you, you, you absolutely should not be trying to test every single thing. Like, try to test the right things, you know? And that's where my team is really trying to focus a lot of time um, around, is just to take that burden off the developers as much as possible. Are you guys doing visual testing? We are. Um, we've been in Apple's tools customer for two, three years now. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I know. You were on a press release. <laughs> and the PR agency asked me if I wanted to interview this guy named Greg Seipel. I'm like, oh, hey, Greg. <laughs> so my small micro fame is still yeah, there, see? right? Um, yeah, we've been, it's a big part. And you know, so the interesting factor with that is, it's one of those things that's kind of like the new hotness. But I think they're missing a small window. I, mean, I think I think Apple Tools has understood some of my points around it, but I mean, others is yourself and a product owner or a developer. Visually, they don't know what what actually is supposed to, how visually what how it should be laid out. Right. That's where your UX and graphic designers, the ones that are right. actually part of that process, they're the ones. That, our designers are highly involved with our visual testing to make sure that it's you know, being represented right. based on different views or things that like, you know, everything's matched out in spacing. There's been many times I've, we've looked through results as we're baselining stuff and they're like, that's an issue right there. That's a bug right there. And like, after they point it out, I can see it. Mm. But as a user, like, you're like, all right, you kind of just overlooked it. Um, 
Yeah, well, actually, um, I talked to uh, Apply Tools, and they did say that this journey from low code, no code, so from design to um, experience, is is important because there is such close relationship to design. The problem is, I, you know, I'm not a big believer in the low code solutions, um, low code, no code solutions, because I think they only get you. It's only a small Seventy-five percent of the way. Yeah, I don't think it's a, com a complete solution um, at all. I wouldn't completely say this is my functional test or all that. I think there's a lot of layers you got to really factor in. Um, but we, we, you know, we we've worked closely with them. Huh. I, you know, it's interesting. I never thought about the quality team working with the designers, but obviously, why not? It's been a huge positive. The next thing is like. My team has always owned that because now you're, you know, as a designer, you're not really like, I mean, you may have some technical people, but they wouldn't know how to write a test script. Right. Which goes back to the part of I was talking about test generation is my team is really close to having kind of a test generation with just where it's generating the, the visual test based on a single JSON file. Hmm. So then we just got to kind of train anybody to say, if you want to add a new test and go do, nice. you know, do like kind of a section or do a full page, this is what you need to do is just go add this file and we just got to teach them some basic GitHub, create a pull request, boom. And it's more self-service. Yeah. And that's true with the developers too, right? Mm-hmm. Even developers, it makes it easier for them. Because like visual testing or even most automation testing, it's just a lot of like, it's a template that you're pretty much copy and pasting and then changing a few steps or assertions. Right. And that's all. That's awesome. And that's yeah. really what test generation is all about. Well, I think what's also awesome about that is that it's not about fiefdom of quality. It's, uh, you know, you're giving that like a space where everybody can work on quality. Yep. So this brisket's a little fatty. <laughs> like you said, my favorite. I expected it to be exactly the same as I served for lunch yesterday, but it's still good. Still good. Yeah, so with headless, like, like I think with the analytics side of it, like, it has a huge, we don't really care about, like, the front end really, like, rendering at that point. You're just making sure if you make a call, the network traffic call, it's firing all off all the right providers right. and stuff from that standpoint. So, one, you're not, you know, if you're doing all those other type of, like, front end testing, it, it's just a little slower. Um, I think there could be other areas where it has advantages. I think, you know, some of the stuff like like the PR stuff that you know Apple Tools is doing right now with their visual grid and stuff like that, where they're just kind of taking a DOM and replaying it. It's kind of like headless in that sense. Yeah, I I get that sense a lot a, a lot where it seems like you know you have two different tools which seem like they're two different things, but they're actually solving exactly the same problem. Exactly the same problem. Um, but do you see the benefit from like shift left and doing early smaller testing? That's a good question. Is it does it have advantages? It may, um, but it's, I, I I think a lot of people are just going the headless because they, they know it's faster and it, it seems like you're not relying on the front end so much. And so there's other ways to you, you're not really truly solving the problem in the sense of like reliability of your system. Like if you're the thing that we're trying to do more is like creating mocking services for whatever app you build. You, yes. you should be mocking it out from an yes. API or whatever. That's and, awesome. And so for us, like right now, as we've been doing our projects, it's like we're we're a news company in the sense. So it's a very you know dynamic t 
type of data we're loading. So it's about creating static feeds on the page. You know, a static feed, you know, making sure that feed's always the same and then make sure you can interact with it. Um, it's going to really one, speed it up because it's not making up network calls to an actual real live API because you've kind of preloaded it in there. Um, two, you're going to get reliable data every single time. Um, and that's going to make your test more reliable. And I think a lot of people are going right. headless because they think that might make their testing more reliable. I don't know if I truly yeah. believe so that. Yeah, so what I hear you saying is that if, if your reason is speed, and reliability, it's like, that's probably the wrong reason to... It's the wrong reason yeah. to actually go to headless. Um, it, you know, you know, going to headless, you can still do visual. You know, it may speed that piece up if you're taking snapshots of the system because it's right. just replaying the DOM in itself. Um, I think the main focus is to focus on how you can mock out your system to where it's going to make your, your testing more reliable. And from that sense, Absolutely. We never said where you worked. Where well, do you work? So um, <laughs> I work at Gannett. Um, you, so most people don't know Gannett, but uh, Gannett is like, you know, one of, um, as a leading like local to national media company. Absolutely. But most people don't know what Gannett is. And so like we're famous for USA Today, um, yeah. for our national brand. But we also um, have we have also one of the largest, you know, local media companies in America, having a hundred plus newsrooms, and we span wow. across 34 states. Um, we average about 124 um, million unique users a month, Whoa. and about 1.1 billion total page views Whoa. per month, also across our whole entire network. So, Sweet code will get there. <laughs> it, 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 it's crazy That's and big. It, it's really big. You know, we're we're a newspaper company that is trying to be digital first. Yeah, that's cool. And this is all part of it. I mean, what you guys are doing, I think you, you've, uh, you, at least from my perspective, are kind of on the forefront. And a big part of that is like you guys took quality seriously. Yeah, I think that is a key. It's building a culture around quality, taking it serious try to remove where quality is a cost, um, build the awareness of the importance, you know, that's where you get the true buy-in. Right. It's just not this elevator pitch that, hey, we write more tests, it's gonna make our system more reliable. That's not really true because systems are getting more complex. Right. <laughs> yeah, you have to follow the curve. Yeah, and so it's making sure you have guards around every every stage you know that starts at your infrastructure is probably the core piece as people have moved into infrastructure as code if that falls apart it doesn't matter how great your application is so it's more than just your application code it's everything yeah well greg thanks thanks Thank for you, doing Chris. that this was fun yeah um and you're gonna kill your session i know it which is coming up in the you don't have the anxiety that i normally do before my session i've got better over the years <laughs> there you I, go i will say <laughs> i definitely the first time i hit the stage at amazon re-event that was really nerve-wracking um with my team in the front row you know cto and yeah, things like that so that, you know probably i think it was like my fourth talk at that point and felt like it was seasoned um it was probably the most prep i've ever done in my entire life um but you know, my boss has always taught me to kind of do things more visually. Yeah. From slides, he's like, you know the content, and if you put words up there and you kind of go off rails there, then it's like people are kind of questioning your delivery on it. So you keep it more open so you can be different every time. 
Um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I uh, recently went, I, I guess I won't say the event. I didn't want to be political on this podcast, but I won't say the event. Uh, it was here in Austin, actually. It was like three years ago. And uh, it was so rehearsed. Like, I walked out of the keynote. It was so bad. Everything was rehearsed. I hated it. So yeah, there's a like everybody just needs to focus on being human, and not like Be natural. Have yeah. fun. It's yeah, about having and fun on stage, you know. um, and that's what I try to do, and try to make some slides, you know, funny. Yeah. Cool. That's hard. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you.